Hey guys, uh, before we get started, I want to talk to you about our sponsor this week, Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. You got March Madness, you got the Masters. How do you bet on the Masters? Like, do you just like bet who's gonna win? Like strokes over under? I don't know how to bet on golf. You got Major League Opening Day coming up right around the corner. Bet Online has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part. You receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. You head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, to receive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast that you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, y'all. Let's start the show. Blue Wire. The Detroit Pistons select Sekou Dubuya. The boy gets run off the line. Down the lane. My goodness. Look at that. Pistons come right back at him with a bruise. Oh, oh, oh. Jam. Dishes to Luke for the long gun. It goes. Hey, y'all. Uh, welcome to Pistons versus Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. You just heard me talking, and uh, you're just going to hear me talking some more today. It's uh, it's just me today. The uh, the Pistons are really bad, and so I don't feel like inflicting talking about the Pistons on anyone else. I don't even really feel like inflicting talking about the Pistons on myself, and so we're not going to do that. We're going to talk more draft stuff. Because that seems to be just what everybody is interested in and focused on. And that's also kind of what I'm turning my attention to during these final, you know, 20-ish games of the season or whatever. And so that's what we're going to be talking about the bulk of the time uh, on this podcast. You know, maybe we'll talk about the the playoffs. We'll have some other teams on, other guests of other teams to talk about what's going on in the in the playoffs. But for us, for Pistons fans, like the, the draft is here and hopefully... It's better than uh, than we think it's gonna be. Uh, I'd released, I tweeted out my my tiers. It's not it's not tiers so much as it's just guys that I feel good about from a, a draft perspective. I tweeted that out yesterday. I got a lot of responses. Uh, I appreciate everybody who uh, liked and commented and said uh, you know they agreed with me. That was really cool. But I just wanted to talk about that a little bit more. I also got some questions. Wanted to answer those. Wanted to address some of the issues I got. And so uh, we can go through this process together. And so the tweet I tweeted out was, you know, just dudes I would be excited if the Pistons took in the 2020 NBA draft. I listed four names, Anthony Edwards, Killian Hayes, Tyrese Maxey, and Tyrese Halliburton. The name that really I got the most pushback on being in that list was Tyrese Maxey. Um, I am actually going to write about Maxey for Detroit Bad Boys. And so... You'll see my thoughts, you know, a little bit more cohesive written down uh, in that in the future. But everybody else seemed kind of generally accepting that, like, hey, like those are four guys Pistons fans like would be excited to have. A lot of people asked about other guys that weren't in that tier. And like, this is just a personal thing for me. Like, I'm not saying the other the guys you like suck. Um, we'll get to the guys I under I would understand if the Pistons took these guys, I wouldn't be like ecstatic about it, but I would totally get it. And they would make sense. Uh, those guys were Denny Avija, 
I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm going to have to learn this dude's name before the end of draft season because I'm going to be saying it a bunch. Isaac Okoro, Obi Toppin, Anyeka Akangwu, Cole Anthony, and RJ Hampton. Uh, I got a little bit of pushback on some of those guys. Some of people are a little bit more excited about Denny and Isaac Okoro. Uh, uh, the people who watch a lot of cast bas- college basketball are very excited about Obi Toppin, and I'm completely understanding of that. I got to do a little bit more Obi Toppin research. I just initially wonder, like, if you have Obi Toppin and Christian Wood on the floor together, like, what, what, that's a lot of, like, duplication of the same thing. And so, I, you you know, not that that's not a valuable skill set, but you can reach a saturation point with that. Um, and so, people people generally ad- agreed with most of those names. Um, and then I got dudes I'd be frustrated if the Pistons took. I only had two names. You know, this is a bad, is a quote-unquote bad draft. There's only two names on that list. I got James Wiseman and Nico Mannion. I got zero pushback on either of those names. So I thought it was really notable. You know, ESPN had a whole countdown, NBA countdown segment on James Wiseman and his like ascension to being one of the top ranked recruits in the country before, you know, uh, the whole NCAA suspension thing with Memphis and then him just deciding to train for the, the draft. Um, you know his his agent, his PR people, like they're working hard. They're getting him down out there on countdown, but uh, I don't know how excited uh, individual fans of the Pistons are to take another big man after what we've seen with with Andre Drummond. And, and you know Nico Mannion, a lot of guys uh, people like Nico, but he's not. He doesn't really appear to be anybody's first choice, and I can't say I blame them. And then there was one guy there's one guy who a lot of people are really charged up about really want to talk about so this is the first guy we're going to go in depth about and that's lamello ball i put lamello ball in his own little category uh and i want to be clear i listed guys i like guys i love and guys i don't like and then i put lamello in his own personal bucket he got put in the i don't know bucket if you remember last year I tweeted, you know, very similar thing. Guys I loved, guys I liked, guys I didn't like. And, uh, and Bull Bull was the only guy I, like, really put in the bucket where it's like, do not draft this guy. Um, I want to emphasize that LaMelo Ball is not in the Bull Bull bucket. He is in the I don't know bucket. That That is a completely different bucket. It just means I got, I got no frame of reference for what LaMelo Ball's, like, median outcome is. Uh, for and I think that's true of a lot of other fans, and I think that excites a lot of people, right? If you can't envision the mold, people think of that as like breaking the mold, and they think of that in terms of like superstardom. Um, that excites a lot of people. Uh, I had a draft guy, you know, basically say to me, "The Pistons should be looking purely for upside." A position I like don't disagree with on its face. I just. Like, Melo is just so, there's so much to be made of LaMelo's career uh, to date. Uh, you know, LaMelo averaged 17, 7, and 7, which is insane production for an 18-year-old. Uh, but he did it shooting or slashing 37% from the floor, 25% from three, and 72% from the line in Australia's National Basketball League. He averaged 1.6 steals a game and, you know, two and a half turnovers a game. Again, he's he's 18 years old, so he's one of the youngest players, I believe, in, in this year's draft. And so you you understand why people would be excited about 
LaMelo Ball, even just because even if you had never seen him play, like you didn't see any of the Instagram stuff, right? Like you didn't know his brother was like also a high NBA draft pick. You would see like he's just very talented, he's, especially as a passer. Um, he can see the entire floor. He's got the size at six seven to to make passes that smaller guys can't. Um, the Ilyara Hawks, uh, Ilwara Hawks. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. They basically ran the entire offense through them because they were one of the. If I am understanding this properly, they were one of the worst, or uh, not the worst, but one of the worst. Uh, teams in the NBL and so they they chose to rely on LaMelo in that way um you know how many guys though how many guys if they were given the ball that much and they were allowed to kind of do everything for an NBL team could beat those scoring rates with like similar usage right how many guys would you know put up you know 15 5 and 5 on much better efficiency right like that that's that's an open question to me. And that's something that I think about when I, I think about LaMelo's, LaMelo's game. You know, another thing you have to take into consideration is the the level of competition that he's up against, right? Like, yes, the NBL does, in fact, have uh, quote-unquote grown-ass men playing in it. However, you know, is that is that the highest level of international basketball competition available? Not really. I was, you know, talking around, the, I'm talking around, uh, NBA Twitter, I'm talking to other draft people trying to figure out like what's up with these guys. And what the sense I got was that uh, the the league that Killian Hayes is in, the basketball Bundesliga in Germany, that is a league that's like a couple steps above the NBL, the league that Theo Maladon is in. Uh, it's a French league that I don't remember the name of right now. Like that is a league that is above the level of the NBL. Um, the NBL is perhaps like above an Israeli league where Denny, where Denny is playing, but you know, you know, are there, is there better competition to be had? Is there like, you know, very low tier competition, NBA competition to be had in these European leagues. That's not necessarily present in Australia. Like, yes. Right. Like we just saw last week, Killian Hayes was in a duel with Peyton Silva or uh, Peyton Silva of, uh, you know, formerly of, you know, the Detroit Pistons and a guy who, was a very talented player, but was just undersized for his position. And so he's made a, a nice career for himself over in Europe. And like, that's a guy who could be in the NBA if he wanted, probably like, he wouldn't be necessarily a, a starting anywhere. He'd be a, a rotation piece, an end of rotation piece, like most likely, but that's a guy who could be in the NBA and like the NBA doesn't, doesn't have as many of those. And so when you, you start to draw like a direct comparison between Killian Hayes and between LaMelo ball, and you look at, you know, Hayes putting up less individual counting stacks, but on better efficiency and in a league that has a higher level of competition and they're both 18, right? Like that's, that's really tough to weigh in my mind. That's really tough to evaluate. And so I hope you understand why I've categorized LaMelo like Kenna in the, I don't know box. This isn't the, again, it's not the, I hate LaMelo box. It's just that I, I'm not. I'm not sure what to what to do with LaMelo at this point in time. You know, maybe the pre-draft, pre-draft process reveals a lot of what we're going to do uh, with him. Maybe the, the pre-draft process, he shows he's changed some of the elements of his game that uh, he struggled with in Australia. Maybe he's, you know, 
quieted the lower half of his body on his shot. Maybe he's shown uh, he shows more discipline in his shot selections and in uh, something like five on fives or three on threes during the draft process. Little things like that uh, would be uh, reports that would be enough to maybe get me to categorize Lamelo and in, into the like lover like box. But but you know for now. We, we haven't really started the pre-draft process yet. The college basketball season is still going strong. Uh, the playoffs haven't even started happening yet. And so, you know, for now, we're just going to keep LaMelo in his own special box. The I don't know box. Uh, the one thing LaMelo does really well, though, is passing. And that's something that is really important for this team. And I wanted to talk about that because I wanted to talk about passing because I wanted to talk about uh you know, I said I didn't really feel like talking about this team, but there is one thing I did want to talk about, and that's uh, the difference between what Bruce Brown and Derrick Rose are like able to accomplish as passers. Uh, I took a look at the tracking numbers available on NBA.com, and you know, it it bore out something that I've seen with my own eyes, and that is that Bruce is a better passer to big men on this team. The big men have better shooting percentages. And Bruce passes to them more often uh, when and they have better shooting percentages when they receive passes from Bruce and Derek Rose has better uh, passing numbers to the guards and wings, right? The guards uh, get passes from Rose more often and they shoot better percentages uh, than they do from, from Bruce Brown. And when you look at that, that makes a lot of sense. And I was pleased to see that because it let me know that I was seeing what I was seeing on the court uh, was being borne out in the statistics, which is always good, right? You always want to marry the statistics and, and the eye test. And so the, what I was seeing with, uh, with Bruce and Derek was that there were, there were different passers, uh, each being like effective in their own way. Bruce Brown does a amazing job of making sure that uh, he attacks the body of the big man uh, before you know dumping it off to the roll, the roller. And that's why I think you get, better numbers uh, with him passing to the role men or just to the bigs in general uh, on this team. Uh, this is the the first place you really noticed that was in Las Vegas Summer League, right? Uh, we had the infamous Bruce Brown triple-double. You had the uh, the passing exhibition. But what what was really noticeable was that like he was getting like Matt Costello, like very easy baskets. Not to say that Matt Costello isn't a good player or anything, but you know there were other teams that were playing with more highly touted big men and Costello was like playing even with or playing like slightly below those guys because offensively because of the passes he was receiving from Bruce Brown like Bruce Brown was really making Matt Costello better now you know Bruce also made Kyrie look good he also made Svee look good I'm not trying to take away from Bruce I'm, I'm just saying that that's something that I that's the first place I really noticed that uh, Bruce did a great job engaging, jumping into the bodies of big men to, to clear a lane um, for for his role, guys. And like that's something that he can do because of his like really good athleticism. Bruce is a great athlete. Uh, Derek Rose, on the other hand, like Derek Rose is also a great athlete, but uh, he's much more known. He's a much more known commodity around the league. And so when he attacks the rim, like he inspires like just help. Uh, all across the court, you see guys pinch in to help stop the drives. Um, you see guys leave shooters in order to, to crash the glass and, and get the rebound or, or contest the shots uh, for Rose. 
and like that is an important element of Rose's game and and guys guys leave uh, shooters to to try and uh, affect Rose's shot a lot of the times because he at this point is like one of the last like uh, really good offensive engines that the Detroit Pistons have and Rose does a great job of taking advantage of that right he's really good at uh, getting the defense to commit to suck in and he's good at uh, those jump passes to the wing to the corner uh, to get guys good looks Um, however like when you look at uh, the percentages like Derrick Rose we can like fairly say that Derrick Rose was really bad at getting uh, the ball to big men in a space where they could do something with it Uh, you know we complained or I, I individually complained a lot that, you know, Derrick Rose was uh, was missing Andre Drummond on lobs a lot when Andre Drummond was here. Um, that is borne out in the numbers. You can go look at the tracking numbers yourself. Andre was shooting like sub 40% on, on shots off of passes from Derrick Rose. And, you know, Reggie Jackson coming back was a big boon for Andre Drummond uh, in that manner. Um, we even had, even had quotes from Derrick Rose before the season I was like, hey, like I tell my big guys to like keep their eyes on me because like I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where the ball is going to go until I, I jump in the in the defense commits. And you can see how that'd be really tough for guys uh, like an Andre Drummond who need time to kind of gather and, and lift off. You can tell that'd be really difficult for guys like uh, like Christian Wood and Thon Maker. Uh, Wood has been like a great beneficiary from from the attention that Derrick Rose draws. Um, he's one of the few big men that's like shooting uh, well off of Derrick Rose passes, but he's also one of the the stretch bigs the Pistons have, right? Like Derrick Rose is often delivering the ball to Christian Wood on the perimeter, and Christian Wood's taking that as the opportunity to drive an attack or to shoot threes. Um, you you saw that with uh, and with Thon Maker, right? Like Thon Maker, don't get me wrong, like Thon Maker's inability to convert or is has a lot to do with Thon Maker. But uh, you know, Derrick Rose also doesn't do an amazing job of setting Thon up in a position to succeed, and that's something we've noticed across the the last couple of games, especially. Um, but that all I'd say all that to say that to go back to the draft, whoever the Pistons do select, if they select a point guard, you would like that guy to have both elements of what Rose and Brown kind of bring to their uh, individual games you would like that the guy they draft to be a three-level passer you would like they got to be able to uh, suck in the defense kick it out to shooters uh, but also be the same way with uh, with uh, engaging the bigs uh, getting the big men open lanes making the big men look better as well you would like to have both of those uh, in the in the same package uh, a, a point guard if you draft a point guard which is not a requirement right we're going to talk about some of the wings in a second. You don't have to draft a point guard, but if you do draft a point guard, he needs to be able to distribute uh, the ball better. We've 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 had a, a long run of point guards in Detroit that hasn't that haven't really done an amazing job of being distributors. You know, before Derrick Rose, it was Reggie Jackson. Reggie was a uh, a capable pick and roll distributor, but never really a guy who was going to average like eight assists a game. We had Ish Smith. Ish was also a guy who was kind of looking for his own uh, in the pick and roll. You know, before those guys we had Brandon Jennings, right? Brandon Jennings was always looking for his own shot in the in the pick and roll. Back in the days with uh, with him and uh, Andre Drummond, uh, rookie Andre Drummond and Greg Monroe, like he was always looking for uh, those pull up threes. And so it would be a nice change of pace for the Pistons to actually have a point guard who made 
his teammates better because of his passing ability. And uh, that's something that the Pistons like haven't had in a long time. And I hope they're able to find that in this year's draft. The other big question I got about when I put out the draft uh, tweets that I did was what about the wing guys, which is, I think a, a pretty fair question to answer. You know, every team has a league in the league covets like this, this mythical, not mythical. It exists. These, these two way initiator wings, a wing who can both uh, initiate your offense and, and guard the other teams, uh wing sized wing guy who initiates offense, right? Like these are your, these are your championship level players, right? These are your Kawhi Leonard's. These are your Paul George's. These are your Jason Tatum's who Jason Tatum is. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but like Jason Tatum has been on a blazing hot streak right now. And is also, has also upped his game as a defensive player. Like you, you should be watching Jason Tatum right now. Um, but like, that's also your LeBron James's uh, LeBron doesn't play as much defense until the playoffs anymore, but when engaged, he's still a really good defensive player. Those are your Kevin Durant's. Those are your Giannis Antetokounmpo's, right? Like those, those type of players are winning players because of their rarity and because of their their value across the court, right? Like having playmaking ability and shot making ability from the wing takes a lot of pressure off your guards, takes a lot of pressure off your big men, and having uh, adequate uh, like size and skill defensively takes a lot of especially a lot of the defensive pressure off of your big men, right? Like they can they have those time to react, those time to to affect shots. Um, and bigs can really only affect what's in front of them. And by, by staying in front of them, by, by locking up a matchup, that makes your, your, your big men just better defensively. And so the Pistons hope they have a, two, a future two-way wing initiator guy in Seku. Like that is, that is the hope for Seku, that he eventually gets to a point in his development where he's comfortable handling the ball and initiating offense for himself. And then also he gets to a point where he's more comfortable defensively, maybe not necessarily like a lockdown guy, like a Kawhi Leonard, but a guy who's able to use his length and uh, and strength effectively on that defensive end. That's something we've seen, you know, we and we've seen little flashes on both of those things from Seku. Uh, the on-ball stuff, initiation stuff was more in Grand Rapids than at the NBA level. But, uh, you know, in the Seku's first stretch of games, that West Coast trip where he first began uh, in the starting lineup, he was playing, you know, relatively effective defense. He was also fouling a bunch, and he pretty quickly learned that fouling would get him to come out of games and he wouldn't get to play anymore, and so he stopped fouling, and that kind of affected his defense. But you hope, like, with more respect from the referees, with more experience um, in the NBA, that the fouling trouble will, will... Being able to play defense without fouling will be a skill he can learn, and he's able to better impact of the game in that way. Like Bruce is a guy who fouls a lot less this year and has still managed to be, you know, relatively effective defensively uh, for his position. And so the Pistons are still kind of, the Pistons hope they have that guy in Seku. Seku's still 19. He's still very young. And so you want as, because that position, because that wing, a two-way wing initiator position is so valuable, you want as many cracks as that as humanly possible. And so a lot of the people who are talking to me about wing players in this year's draft, they're like, hey, like we have one Seku. That's good. We need additional Sekus, right? Like this, this position is so valuable across the NBA. They're like we need to do whatever we can to, to get one of those guys uh, in here in a, in a draft position. And I totally agree with that in theory. 
but you know in my opinion that archetype of the two-way initiator wing is just not really present in this year's draft the the two best wings in the draft are two guys i already already talked about uh briefly and isaac okoro and and denny avija adiv adivdija i'm gonna get that right one day i swear uh isaac okoro though isaac okoro is he has already figured out one side of the ball right he is already an elite defensive player great as an on-ball guy um, great as a communicator, great as a as a hard hedger, as a guy who uh, disrupts plays. Um, his Auburn teams have been uh, much more successful when he is on the floor than when he's off of it, despite some of the limitations I'm, I'm going to talk about. He's a dude who just wins, right? Isaac Okoro is a guy who just wins basketball games. Um, and he does it you know, through defense and through rebounding and, and through affecting the game in ways that aren't necessarily tied to offense. Um, but what that ends up meaning is that his offensive shooting indicators are not great. He's shooting 28% from three and 65% from the line. Now, granted, he draws a lot of free throws, which is good to see um, a guy that, you know, isn't necessarily thought of as a major offensive force is still able to get to the line a lot. That is a good indicator of, you know, future success, uh, future success for a But, uh, you know that those are those are troubling shooting indicators for Pistons fans. You know, after the Stanley Johnson experience, I don't blame any fan that's like, "Hey, like no more defense wings who can't shoot." You know, I can't I can't really blame you if that's your mindset. Um, you know, again, I put I put Okoro in the like box too, right? Like I I don't dislike Okoro. I think he would be uh, a really effective player. For the Detroit Pistons, I think he's the he's the type of player that Pistons fans always profess to love. Um, and Stanley Johnson was a guy who got a lot of love from Pistons fans until it was revealed he you know couldn't play offense. And so you understand why Okoro would would hold a lot of intrigue in in Pistons fans' hearts. And you you would definitely hope that Okoro is more Jimmy Butler than than Stanley Johnson. Actually. Speaking of, you know, other wing guys, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler is kind of the outlier, outlier, outlier uh, performance of what you can expect from like a wing player based on uh, college statistics. But, you know, I was looking at Jalen Brown's shooting indicators and, you know, Jalen was also shooting, uh, I believe, sub 30 percent from three and also kind of shooting 65 ish percent from the free throw line. And he's turned out fine. He's turned himself into a very good uh, corner three-point shooter. And uh, he's, he's resolved most of his free throw issues. And it's taken him, you know, quite some time. I believe he shot like 50% from the line his first year uh, in, in the NBA. But, like, if Isaac, if Isaac Okoro ended up being Jalen Brown, like, I think that would be a good thing for Detroit. And so, like, yeah, I... Having those that range of outcomes, right? Like maybe Jimmy Butler's at the very, very high end. Jalen Brown is at the like high or or the uh, the like eighty five ish percentile outcome from Isaac Okoro, and Stanley Johnson's like the the forty five ish percentile outcome for for Okoro. Uh, you seeing that range of outcomes makes me feel better about having him in the like box, but not necessarily the love box, right? The that that percent chance that he could turn into Stanley Johnson is enough for me to knock him out of 
the the love box into the like box. But you know, if the Pistons were to draft a Coral, wouldn't be mad at it. Uh, wouldn't be mad at it. Like really uh, enjoy watching that guy play basketball. The other wing is Denny. Uh, <laughs> Denny looks much smoother, much more put together on offense than Okoro, but uh, his his shooting indicators are also not amazing. His free throw percentage is shockingly low. It's only 52% um, for a guy who is, you know, thought of as this really skilled, you know, multi-purpose pick and roll ball handling wing with, with shooting potential to shoot, you know, only 52% from the line fairly consistently. He shot like only 52% from the line last season as well. Or his, his, his free throw percentage was in the 50s last season as well. And so you wonder kind of like, what's what's up with that? But uh, you know, there are questions about his shooting form. It appears to kind of, uh, it, it it doesn't vary in the same way like a lamello ball does where it falls apart in his lower half. Uh, Denny appears to kind of like scrunch when he's shooting. I, I don't really know how to describe it to you in an audio medium i, I will just uh, refer you to the uh, stepian scattering report uh on denny to get a better visual of what uh, his shooting form kind of looks like and when it gets weird um so you've got so with denny you've got a guy who's going to be worse defensively than a coro because a coro is a massively uh good defender and you've got a guy who has uh maybe a prettier stroke and a better shot, but who also kind of has had troubles putting the ball in the basket from the free throw line. Um, another problem with Denny is just his, his European league numbers are not great, right? He's averaging 11, seven and three per 36 in, in the Euro league. Like that is not great. He's putting up better numbers in the Israeli league. But as we talked about a little bit with Lamel Lamello a while ago, Right, like the NBL is kind of above the Israeli league, and and still below like some of the other European leagues that other draft guys are in this year, and so you would ex- really expect Denny's numbers to be to be amazing in a league where the competition level is, is fairly substandard. Um, you you hope that Denny is able to develop and put things together. He does very clearly like flash the skill in the European League to to be an effective NBA player. Um, he has the height, he has the the ball handling that teams are looking for. Uh, apparently, he's a very hard worker, which is really good to hear. Um, he's he's a guy who's like always putting up extra shots. He's a guy who uh, is really very critical of his own game, and those are things that I think will be uh, important for him to have like mentality wise as he tries to improve his game but uh yeah like he's only shooting you know 32 percent uh he's only shooting like sub 30 uh 34 percent from three and you know sub 60 percent from the line across like a couple seasons in the european league like that is enough for me to kind of knock that guy again like out of the love box into the like box um this is perhaps an unfair comparison, but if he's quote unquote like just a Dario Saric, right? Another guy who uh, put up kind of uh, mediocre numbers in the European league and then was still be uh, able to come over and be drafted fairly highly because of his skill level and because of his age. Um, even if he's just Dario Saric, who has turned out to be a you know a very good NBA player. 
but like not the type of player that uh, you want to take with the fifth overall pick. And, you know, as we talked about for the Detroit Pistons, the Detroit Pistons are trying to get as much star potential uh, in their team as possible. They're trying to get as much talent in the door as possible. Um, you know, you, you wonder about Danny's upside. Um, so that is something that uh, bears watching as far as the, uh, as, the, as the wings at the top of this class go. Um, if you were to give me a choice between those two guys, I think you can tell I'd be more into a Coro uh, than Denny. There are obviously some other guys that I need to do deeper dives on for this draft. Um, there's, you know, the FSU guys, Devin Vassell and Patrick Williams. There's Josh Hart out of Arizona or Josh Green out of Arizona. I apologize. Um, there's uh, the Bay brothers, Tyler Bay and Sadiq Bay. There's Paul Reed. Like there, there, are, there are some wings with some skill level in this year's draft, and there's always the potential that the Pistons uh, add uh, another first-round pick later in this year's draft that's not their own, and so that would give you the opportunity to look at, look at a guy like a Vassal or a Williams or even like a, a Cassius Stanley or something like that in the back half of the first round. And so that's something that continues to, to bear watching uh, for, for the Pistons. Yeah, so th- those are really the the like and the love uh, bucket. Those are the two buckets that I wanted to talk to you guys about tonight. Um, I will be writing about Tyrese Maxey in the not-too-distant future. You will see that up on Detroit Bad Boys in the coming weeks. I'm going to write about, about Killian Hayes, and so you will also see that in the, in the coming future. Um, I'm going to ref- be able to refer people to that like I referred to my Kevin Porter Jr. piece. <laughs> earlier this week, I oh, mean Kevin Porter Jr., a guy who I don't, I don't know if I missed on him, but I definitely think I undershot his upside. But yeah, that's that's the podcast, that's the draft talk that uh, I wanted to have. You know, because you know, watching this team is such a joyless experience, and thinking about how it can be made better by a guy like an Isaac Okoro, like a Lamelo Ball, like a Killian Hayes, um, is is what gives me hope uh, in the in the uh, in the sad state of. Uh, of August or of February for the Pistons. Uh, of course, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L a Z C H a N C E. Uh, I, you can follow my writing that I've talked about on Detroit bad boys. That's DetroitBadBoys.com. I also host the Detroit bad boys podcast, which you can listen to on any podcast platform that you are listening to this podcast on. Um, this is Pistons versus everybody. And we will talk to y'all next week.